Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. I have Baruta Regime with me today, and she wrote this amazing book, Iron Butterflies, Women Transforming Themselves and the World. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me here, Bob. It's a pleasure. So let's talk about your uh, book cover a little bit. You know, you've got an iron butterfly as your title. And uh, the first time I read that, I was thinking, oh, that reminds me of that uh, amazing British leader. And she was called an iron butterfly. Do you think that that's an apt description for women that are in business? I don't know. I, well, I, I think it's an apt description for the new woman in business. Like, were you talking, <laughs> referring to um, Margaret Thatcher? Yeah, I thought I'd I let that hang in there to see if you could figure that one out. Oh, she's, so. she's a woman. She's the leader with an iron fist. Oh, that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, well, it had iron, right? At least. <laughs> iron part, right. So there's, you know, it's it really captures the paradox I thought these women held. You know, they had a will of iron and the touch of a butterfly. Mm. You know, they were determined and yet empathic. Um, and as I said, they're sort of very paradoxical in holding these qualities. And, and one way to talk about those qualities is that they were masculine skills and feminine skills, mm-hmm. and they had a balance between those two. Now, m- one of the things that bothers me about that description of masculine and feminine is that it, it divides those skills into a hierarchy. You know, that uh, masculine skills tend to be much more favorite in our culture, and these women all had those skills, you know, being determined, goal-directed, all of that. Uh, but the feminine skills, uh, such as relational intelligence, empathy, intuition, all of those skills have been pretty much devalued and demeaned. But ultimately, and that's how where the, the hierarchy of those skills comes into, but ultimately, really, we're talking about human skills. They're neither feminine nor masculine. It's just what gets placed as valuable in our culture. Mm. Well, it, it, yeah, you're right. It is a bit of a paradox. And, and for many, many years, I think for women to excel in business, they basically had to be a man. And, and, and you know, right. some of the, 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 the movies that were hilarious out there and having the mannerisms of a man and it just didn't fit. And we've kind of evolved over the last 30 years and, and, and women have really enabled, been able to come out and be more feminine and I don't see feminine in, in to be like a feminine person but like you're saying to have the empathy to be great at working with people to build an organization that is har- you know harmonized and the ability to have those people uh, motivated on on a more uh, feminine uh, angle but it's still caught between a rock and a hard place mm. because if they demonstrate those masculine skills then they appear competent but they don't but they are unlikable because, oh, you're acting like a man. On the other hand, you know, if they show their you know, more feminine skills, uh, they're more likable, but then they're not perceived as competent. Mm. So it's like there's a, almost it's a really difficult situation for women. And, and a lot of this has got to do with gender bias. And, and if a woman calls, calls someone on and say this is gender bias, you know, saying I can't be strong or I, if I'm if I'm have more softer skills and not as competent, um, then they, then they criticize for calling the gender card. <laughs> so it's just a, you, it, it's for ambitious women. It's very, um, tricky path to follow. Mm, 
I like that. The gender card. The J word, we can call it. <laughs> it's actually G word. Oh, is it G? Oh, I'm dyslexic, so I'm the worst spelling. <laughs> so the G word, that's even better. Hey, um, you know, this book's all about you meeting a whole pile of women and interviewing, interviewing them and, and, and basically getting how they got to where they are, uh, why they're there, and, and the things that they've done to change their organizations. Mm-hmm. So um, how many different women did you actually interview, and, and how far did you have to travel to, to see them all? Well, there were 60 women. I was, started out to be just business women, but then it just expanded because it seemed like it was a bigger topic emerging out of my interviews. Uh, and it was uh, eight countries. I didn't go to all those eight countries, of course. Some of them came to me, such as a woman from Iraq I got to interview who was visiting during the war, actually. Hmm. I have quite a few Canadian women leaders, one of them being uh, Kim Campbell, uh, your former prime minister, uh, Carolyn Bennett, who's a member of your parliament, mm-hmm. Linda Lundstrom, who is, a, this, I would call her the Eileen Fisher of Canada. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, some really wonderful Canadian women. And of course, you know, American women and, and uh, one of my favorite interviews, I have to admit, was uh, Italian Vineyard uh, in Tuscany and oh. run by women. And um, they even had their own wine called Prima Donna, which is a <laughs> woman and do, doing very well. So that was a really tough research assignment, I have to I say. Bet. Well, the morning after, at least. <laughs> at least. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you, what's the fundamental difference um, that you're getting from the the different women in different parts of the world? I mean, uh, you know, comparing United States to Canada is sometimes fascinating, but but comparing what's going on in Iran and and uh, England um, compared to what's going on in the states is vastly different. So, were you seeing? Uh, patterns emerge or were, were there just radical different ways that these women were dealing with their different cultural situations? What emerged was their commonality. Mm. And, their, uh, and their commonality was really what was one of the surprise stories in this is, is the power of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, that all these women had faced their own vulnerabilities to some extent and were and which ultimately made them stronger, not weaker. And they, they used their vulnerability as an asset in terms of their leading, because you know. Uh, so, for instance, if you know if making a mistake is a no-no in your company, then you're going to have lots of problems because no, it's not going to be a learning company. People mm-hmm. are going to hide it, right? But you, as a leader, have to show that it's all right. Uh, to make a mistake and that everyone can learn from your mistake, that that's a learning edge. And often they did this by being vulnerable themselves. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, uh, you know, the the concept of vulnerability seems almost like the opposite of the way a, a leader should be. Um, and, and I guess vulnerable isn't a, a great word I for know. describing... Um, a leader, right? Because it's you kind of get this oxymoron thing. But in that vulnerability, there must have been strength. I mean, for for anybody to succeed in the business world, they got to be a pretty tough character. They, there's a certain personality traits that have to be relatively strong. That must have been also another pattern that you noticed. 
Well, of course, they had to be strong, but a lot of times they gain their strength by addressing their vulnerability. So if you admit that you're not very good at organizing, you can have people around you that are good at organizing. You know, um, if you're a big picture thinker, then you're going to want to have people around you that are good uh, at details. Mm. So it's it's recognizing your vulnerability and often um, not only just recognizing, it's transforming it into a, a strength of its own. Um, mm. Okay. So, you know, you kind of mentioned that you, you had a, a favorite um, interview. Why... Why were more? Why were some interviews for you more interesting than others? Was it because you uh, empathize with them because of your your life path, or that uh, compared to all the other interviews, it really stood out as an aha moment for you? It was something that really crystallized and brought home a, a core truth. Well, actually, I really enjoyed all the interviews. I was just enjoying being in Tuscany. <laughs> <laughs> no, all the women, they were all really fascinating. There's often a sense of kindred spirit with them. Mm. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I was researching this book 10 years ago, and I, and I felt like I had bumped into a revolution hidden in plain sight, that these women were actually transforming the meaning of leadership and power and success. You know, because they were using their power in a different way. They weren't using their power over others. They were using their power with and for others. And it, and now watching um, what goes out in the media and the books that are coming out, that revolution now, it seems much more visible than when I started. And that's very exciting to see that. Um, for women that are, that are, you know, in the workforce now and, and are kind of being uh, groomed for senior management and, and uh, upper management, what do you think they should be doing to, to help that process move forward? Well, I see that, and it's tough because a lot of women know that the way to be successful is to adopt these other sort of masculine values. And often they have to disconnect from aspects of themselves, so they're not bringing all of themselves to the to the job, and and I think that that actually uh, makes them less effective. I think what women need to do is to be able to be very clear uh, about the value they bring and what those feminine skills, the value those feminine skills bring. Uh, that, you know, uh, relational intelligence, empathy, intuition, uh, being able to be collaborative, to uh, come to consensus, to be a bridge builder, all of those often are just, you know, assumed or taken for granted or, or rendered invisible. And to bring those at the forefront saying these are powerful skills. And the interesting thing, because I've also written a book on complexity science in business, mm -hmm. is that uh, complexity science uh, actually validates why these feminine skills uh, work as they do. Because we all are all in complex systems. And if you want to, and, and organizations are complex systems, and if you want a resilient, adaptive uh, organization, then the, from, a, from a complexity point of view, it's you need to strengthen the connections within the system. Well, those connections in the system are relationships. And so all those feminine skills that we're talking about are all towards enhancing positive relationships. And so there's actually science saying why this is powerful, and it's going to be even more powerful because we're in this highly interconnected world, you know, and how we interact with one another has everything with what emerges in an organization. And, you know, if, it, if you're holding your cards close to your chest and there's a fear, uh, you know, based culture, you know, what's going to emerge is, 
is going to be very different than from a culture where people feel really positive. There's a sense of community of people working together. They have a shared vision. Um, what emerges out of that is going to be a lot more creative. Because this book is uh, basically a, a whole pile of different stories about what women have done, it, is it a book that you can just jump around in? Is there a part of the book they should anybody should read first, or can they just jump to a particular chapter that they're interested in? Well, you know, I think each chapter stands on its own, mm-hmm. that you can just read them individually. But the organization of the book is really, in some ways, uh, a history of women's leadership, how women were once leaders, how... Uh, that was usurped, their struggle that continues to reclaim their place as leaders, and then ultimately how they're transforming the meaning of leadership itself. Hmm. So there is that continuum if you read it uh, from the beginning to the end. Now, you know, it's, it's a fascinating topic because the emergence of women as, as a key part in larger organizations, the global organizations, um, because more and more women have left the uh, classic I don't know, uh, business scenario and gone into business themselves. So they're not yeah. working for a company. They actually own the company. And as they emerge and become more powerful, and this is on a global level, um, more and more organizations that support uh, large organizations realize that, wow, we don't have enough people that can communicate on the level, which is more feminine, of course, uh, with this organization, which is very women-centric. So what should organizations be doing to address this? Well, they should be hiring more women, <laughs> you know, and giving them positions of power. It's, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, out of Fortune 500 companies, 46% of them are women, and of the staff are women, and only 15% hold board seats. You know, only 14% have executive positions. Only 2% are CEOs. So you need, you need a diversity of voices at the table to bring and, and to value all of those voices. Now, one of the things that, um, that I think is that blocks women from getting into those positions of power is what I call um, a battle that women are fighting that they don't even know they're fighting, which is gender schemas. Have you heard of gender schemas? No, I've not. that's fantastic. Tell me more about that. Okay, so gender schemas are uh, cultural assumptions we hold about men and women that are unconscious. And one of these assumptions that are held culturally and around the world is that women are first perceived as incompetent until proven otherwise, and which is the opposite for men. They are perceived as competent until proven that they're not competent. Yeah, and a lot of times it is actually the opposite of that. A lot of men are incompetent. Right, and a lot of women are competent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and so I tell this story, you know, when I'm talking to women, and I say, you know, there was one of, these, one of my clients – that I was coaching, and uh, she talked about a moment when she went into a meeting. It was both men and women there. And uh, she had what she thought was a really great idea to contribute to the conversation. And she spoke up, and nobody said anything. And so she thought, well, you know, I guess maybe I'm not a leader. Maybe I really don't have something to contribute. I mean, it, you know, if you don't get mirrored or acknowledged, it really sets in some self-doubt. Except that, you know, five minutes down the road, one of the guys sort of restates what she says. Everybody thinks it's a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. Now, I ask women 
uh, how many of you experienced this? I have to tell you, like 90% of women have said they experienced this. Now, a lot of younger women say that they haven't experienced it because they haven't actually gone high enough on the ladder. You know, when you go into an organization, it's a pretty level playing field when you first step in. But then the higher you go up, the more disparage, you know, discrepancy you come across. Mm. So I would ask women, like, what, what do you do when someone when that happens, you know, I'm saying, we're, first of all, where are the other women? Why aren't you standing with her and saying, you know, wow, this is a great idea? Because often they'll find that the women will come with them after the, the meeting and go to the water cooler and say, well, that was really great. Well, that doesn't help her at that moment. Stick with her there in the meeting and they'll stick and, you know, and they'll if they stick with you, you'll stick with them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Another woman, just after having that dynamic happen for her, she was a cancer research person, eventually said to the person who kind of took the idea again and said, wow, I am so glad you love my idea. <laughs> so it was a way of reclaiming it. You know, and women have to take, to claim their own insights uh, as useful and powerful. So Yeah, well, you know, that's it's a fascinating dynamic because, you know, I, I'm – a creative person and a lot of times I'm dealing with uh, you know C-suite level people and that happens a lot of times where I'll, I'll throw in a bunch of ideas and there's so many ideas that people can't basically get them and then the next meeting or later on in that meeting somebody will restate a, a very it's like you're saying it's, it's a mirroring of the idea but it's been tweaked a little bit and then yep. people get it. So do you think um, maybe part of it is that women speak in a different language? Well, I mean, there have been arguments made in that way, haven't there? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also that women aren't assumed competent. This is the gender schema kicking in, mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. you know. And the interesting thing about the schema is that it's not just men having – and that fact is that it's unconscious. It's not intentional. People don't mean to diminish a, a, the person intentionally, but it's just something that's in their heads. And mm-hmm. so, but the interesting thing is this isn't just men towards women. Women feel the same way towards other women. You know, they'll think, oh, you know, I'm competent, but I don't think she's competent. Mm-hmm. So I think then in a lot of ways that explains why a lot of women haven't been very supportive in helping other women get up the ladder. You know. Well, wh- why is that? Do you think it's based on what uh, we're talking about, the, the um, basically the very primitive part of our brain? It's based on when we were back in, in caveman days and, and uh, that's what caused it. Is it wh- why is this? I mean, if it's an unconscious thing, then it must be some sort of programming that's happening during their whole life because of the educational system or it's a fundamental thing that hasn't been uh, evolved out of our system. Yeah, it's a patriarchal trait. It's mm. patri- patriarchy. You know, men rule. Men have the answers, and men are competent. Mm. You know, and women aren't. But, you know, you're going back to cave men. Actually, it was women who had a lot of power in the hunter-gatherer culture because, you know, yes, we, we proclaim the hunter as, you know, as, you know, the one who feeds everyone and, and all of that. But, in fact... You know, the hunt was not what sustained them. It was the gathering that sustained them, and that was done largely by women. Plus the organization, the day-to-day things that had to get done. Uh, A lot of times the the hunters would disappear for, you know, weeks and weeks because especially if there's nomadic um, hunting. Uh, So 
I, I know for a lot of the talks that we've done, because of that, women actually can taste more and they can see more colors uh, because that's, those were the skill set and, and men work much better on reactionary situations and being able to, to pick stuff out during a very uh, a plain vista so they have less color uh, capabilities. And so I was just curious about uh, the, the, the perception. Uh, but I really like your answer about uh, because we are in that type of structure and, and it's almost from birth they're getting subliminal messaging. So based on that, which countries are emerging uh, or, or developing women that are, are more suited and get that they, um, they, they're not encompassed, they're empowered, uh, based on the educa- educational system or the culture that they grow up in? Well, you know, I think the Scandinavian countries are really, they often call them the mother countries, mm. uh, but they actually, they're much more nurturing. Uh, they, in fact, I think it's Finland that, or Sweden, they decided, you know, we're not going to wait for corporations to have half their uh, board be represented with women because that's going to take us into 2090 or something. And they're, they're mandating it, hmm. you know, so, so I, they're much more progressive there. And that's a place where, you know, there's free education and free health care, um, you know, they value uh, not only maternity leave, they often require paternity leave so that the father uh, gets to bond properly with their own kids. I mean, you know, it's not just the women who get uh, shortchanged in this system. I mean, men get seriously short, shortchanged. They're not really allowed to have that more nurturing expression. You know, women can still kind of get out of work if they have to pick up the kids from soccer. But, you know, what, what chance does a guy have to do that? Mm. And I think that the transformation that is underway, which I think it really is, is ultimately one that has to happen with both men and women standing up. I mean, the, the corporate model is still a 50s model based on the father going away to work and the mother staying home and raising kids. And, well, that doesn't exist anymore. You know, women are going to work, too, and they have, and so there has to be, and this is what Sheryl Sandberg's thing is in, in part, you know, saying that, you know, you've got, we've got to distribute the, the housework and the, you know, main, maintenance load as well. And I think it's really actually great for uh, men to be able to get more into that role. I mean, you know, when I was raising my kids, you know, you know, like I look at when I on Sunday morning I, now I see men, you know, with the with the you know the huggy, the things they hold in the front, you know, with the baby. Mm-hmm. They'll be they'll be out in the morning with the baby attached to them in the backpack or on the front, and they're pushing a carriage. There's no mom in sight. And, you know, they're probably giving mom Sunday morning off. And I just love that. I mean, I think men really need that uh, kind of soft connection. In fact, you know, one of the problems with Wall Street and everything was that there was just too much testosterone going on. And that's because they were all men. There weren't enough women there. But actually, they found that when, um, when men hold babies and children, there's actually a biological shift for men. And there's a lot of men out there, I've t- spoken to uh, several leaders who uh, value these more feminine skills. They're trying to make their organizations more collaborative, and they get as much flack as the woman does. You know, they're, they're not appearing strong, is what the argument and complaint is. You, you don't look like a strong leader. I think, you know, Barack Obama 
gets a lot of flack for that because it's not your traditional stance of here I am, I'm the Lone Ranger, and you're going to do as I say rather than realizing that that is patriarchy and that is, I think we're in the death throes of patriarchy right now and it's a lot of kicking and screaming, but it's moving into the future of more collaboration. And if you want to be more collaborative because our, our issues are all interconnected and they're more complex and no one person can solve them, you want to be more collaborative, then you have to embrace this new way of being a leader, which is you know embracing the more feminine skills and uh, learning to negotiate rather than just to fight it out. Well, do you think that's why uh, they're throwing Hillary Clinton Clinton into the uh, into the ring because she's very masculine as as far as um, a woman figure, yet she's a woman, so she's a perfect. Um, person to bring up against somebody like Barack Obama, who is, um, he's a guy, obviously, but he, he has this, like you're saying, more of a, a feminine approach to it, so that's why he got such a huge chunk of the feminine vote. Yeah, I mean, he's like the first president to really show a more feminine style of leadership, mm-hmm. you know, and, it's, and I guess you can only get the message from a man at still. Uh, but he's he's gotten so much flack, and I can't, you know, how much disrespect has gone his way. It's really pretty stunning, actually. Mm. So do you think other men that are um, more in touch with their, I don't know, like, it's such a stereotype thing, but more in touch with their feminine side, which is the, the way that everybody's described it, um, they've probably had a, a similar struggle that women have because we're not really talking uh, because you're a woman, you're considered weak because you have these types of traits and your management style um, is perceived as, as weak and too giving uh, and not dominating enough. And, and if you have right. a, a male character that has, especially with the, the gay population, uh, where they're very much so nurturing because that's just the way they're wired, uh, do you think that's really the fundamental problem is people not getting or being scared of oh, we can't have this person because we'll be considered weak so we won't be able to compete. Yeah, I think that that's a big part of it. You know, that we that people won't think we're strong and they, that we can't compete. All of those, all, all of that. Mm. So how, you know, I mean, we're kind of not talking about your book a lot, but it's this fascinating stuff. Well, it, well this is in my book. <laughs> it, it's not just about women. I talk about men here too. So how how should how do you th- you know after chatting with all these people and I'm sure they gave you some amazing knowledge, um, how do you think an organization should be behaving now? And I'm talking per one hundred percent on a tactical level, on a strategic level, not about oh we're going to do this because of HR reasons. What should companies be doing uh, to make them uh, more competitive in the global market? Well, as I said before, I think you just need more women at the table. Uh, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be, you know, oh, you know, tomorrow, let's say I ran this huge organization and uh, tomorrow I could basically, you know what, we need more women. So 25% of the people in uh, upper and C-suite management are going to be brought down uh, because they're men and they're going to be replaced with women with the same skill sets and boom we're fixed, we're more competitive. That's not going to happen because the organization itself isn't structured. Isn't it something that has to start way down from when you join the company uh, as a, a, a mid or low level 
a manager or even somebody that's running around delivering boxes for a company, shouldn't it start there? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's part of it is the sh- uh, perception of what, what is strength? What does it mean to be strong? What does it mean to be a strong leader? Uh, so it's a redefinition of leadership. It's a redefinition of what success looks like. You know, is it always just the bottom line? Is that the only measure of success? Yeah. Uh, which has been very limiting and constricting. Uh, and, yeah, yeah leadership, well. success, and power. Those three things are, are, are the elements that need to be transformed. And what does power look like? You know, and it's been defined as someone who can dominate. And you can see this, you know, you can see it over and over, you know, the domination game. And it's, it's so exhausting to see it keep playing out, you know, and, and it's almost as if we don't learn, you know, that, that that's so limiting. I mean, it, it works in the, in the short term, but ultimately, and it also has a short term vision. It's not a game that you have a long term vision of. So yeah, it's so very all, reactionary. It's very reactionary. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's you know, it's a fascinating time to be in business, um, being in, in a management role because you have two choices uh, as as a man in um, in an organization. You either fight against the kicking and streaming, you know, we've got to be masculine, we've got to ooh, rah rah rah, uh, right. compared to like you know what I get this and side on the side of women so you're the person that says you know i think donna has a really good point there and joe why do you keep stealing her ideas i mean for a guy to say that in in a meeting would be (laughs) really amazing to hear that's right it's in it's in the conversations Mm. you know that's where it's in these small changes that can have a big effect and that's exactly what complex systems that is part of the nature of complex systems is a small change which you such as that where you begin to see those, the value of uh, certain skills that have been marginalized and, and, and um, demonized sometimes, uh, that that can make a huge effect in an organization. Mm. What about educational system? You know, the big uh, Ivy League schools, do you think they are part of the problem and they need to have more professors and uh, leadership that is more women-centric? Yeah, I mean... When I was interviewing, you know, I went to Harvard myself, right? But I interviewed, I didn't go to business school. Um, but when I interviewed some people in the business school, it's sort of like, it was like, it was, they were contributing to the problem in the organization because they were, it was a sort of a, you know, um, kill or be killed attitude, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, well, is that because the professors have been, you know, Intended for so long that they're kind of out of the loop. I mean, things are moving. I mean, moving so 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 fast because of social interaction, social communication. So um, we're we're much smaller world, and thinking globally is, is you have to think globally. And if you're a professor stuck in an Ivy League school and you're basically been teaching the same concept for fifteen, twenty, thirty years, and you're getting paid really well, and you're never going to get fired, what's the motivation for them well, to change? That's true, but but in the meantime, they can be hiring other people uh, who have the vision, and I think they are doing that. Uh, after all, they do have a woman president, don't they? So, um, so out of all the Ivy League schools, and I know this is a completely biased, tricky question, <laughs> but I'm going to do it to you anyways. Out of all the Ivy League schools, which one do you think is failing women? 
You know, I really can't answer that. Oh, okay. I know it was totally unfair. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a fascinating discussion because, really, that's the type of conversation women should be having now when they're going into interview and say, well, you know, according to the stats, you're failing women. Why should I even bother coming to Harvard? And and if they have enough women saying that and they start to see that, well, you know, <laughs> we're actually losing money, that would motivate them to get uh, more people on staff or to re-educate pre-existing staff. Uh, so they're in line. Well, that's true. I mean, but I'm, let's not say that Harvard isn't doing that. I don't really have. <laughs> no, okay. Well, it, it could be McGill University. It could be uh, a yeah. university in London. It could be a, a university in Stockholm. I think, people, I think the academia is getting it. I mean, I think they do see that this is important. There's been, I mean, you look at all the research that's being done, like Catalyst, you know, and McKinsey, mm. over and over, you know, that every, most leaders they find say that we need more women leaders, that that actually helps their bottom line. And yet, when it comes to action, it's only like maybe, so I think this number was 80% of leaders globally say, yes, you have more women in positions of power, uh, we have a better bottom line, uh, whereas only 30% actually act on it. So, you know, Jeffrey Pfeffer is a professor at Stanford, and he called it the, the knowing doing gap, hmm. you because know, you know that this is, because it, it, it completely boggled my mind when I was doing all the research on this. If we know that a more human-centered approach towards uh, organizations, and if we know that if you have more women uh, involved, I mean, that you're going to be more successful, why isn't that happening? Well, I, I think, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I think it's because the human, uh, human nature is, is uh, basically lazy. <laughs> if, I, if I'm doing this and it's working and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not in any danger, then I'm going to keep doing that because I've got too much stuff to do with already. Why should I make my life even more difficult? And and for us to, to reprogram ourselves and, and evolve, it's, it's not the risk, uh, financial or, or career-wise. It's the hassle of reprogramming yourself and all the angst that you're going to have to go through. And I just think people just don't want to deal with it. Well, and I think that that might be part of it. Mm. Um, this has worked. Why should I change, right? Mm -hmm. But the other thing is I think a lot of it is ego because the mm. new way has to be more inclusive. Yeah. Uh, power, is, power is more distributed, uh, you know, and if you've got a, you know, and if you're someone who's bounding your chest, you know, you know, I have the answers, I'm the way, then, you know, you're not going to be willing to have to do that to do that. That's true. Actually, we did. We had a fascinating um, discussion once uh, on a book called "Are You Working with a Psychopath?" And uh, <laughs> basically, the way the business world has been structured the last fifty years, if you had psychopathic tendencies, yeah, uh, you did very, very well in the workplace. And with the emergence of this new philosophy and approach, um, that's out the door. Right. So, if you have psychopathic tendencies, you're never going to make it to management. I know. I've seen the study on something with that too. That people who are you know, executives and psychopaths have a lot of similarities, right? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And we also have a system that rewards that. You know, we reward narcissism, right? Which is a, a narcissistic personality is very self-centered, but they also lack an ability to empathize with others, right? And so that can come across as really strong, but actually it's really actually very weak. And, you know, one of the dynamics I identify too is what I call the gladiator defense, 
you know, so a lot of people can't manage, you know, not knowing or being uncertain or being wrong or being challenged. Uh, and what they'll do is they'll attack another person as a way of diverting from that from that attention to themselves, right? And so they'll make that other person feel vulnerable rather than addressing their own vulnerability. Mm. And, and that kind of aggression uh, is associated with strength, but it's at the core, it's absolute weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're not able to really address what's going on with you and you have to project it onto someone else. So one of the things I actually tell a lot of women uh, because often women are subject to this. I'm not saying that men aren't either, but uh, sometimes you're feeling really vulnerable and you have to stop and think, well, wait a minute, is this my vulnerability? You know, why am I feeling horrible? What did I do? I didn't really do anything, but I'm feeling terrible here, you know? And so, and that could be an example of that, um, you know, the gladiated defense that you've just been hit with. Mm-hmm. Uh for people that want to know more about this book and uh, this, you know, this, and this is a fascinating conversation we're having uh, to con- continue the conversation. Uh, where should they go? Do you do you have a blog? Uh, how do people connect with you? Yeah, so uh, you know, I have a website it's called ironbutterflies.com. I uh, do blogging for uh, Huffington Post, and you can do it under my name, Barbara Regine. Um, and I'm, I'm also on Twitter, Iron Butterflies. I also have a Facebook page, Iron Butterflies. Uh, and you can get my book on Amazon or uh, it's, it's in Kindle and it's also uh, on, I, on Apple and also hardcover uh, in um, Amazon and, and I'm sure Barnes & Noble, wherever. It's so, everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> um, and I'm going to get your name right here, Biruta, right? Yes. Yeah. Biruta. Biruta, thank you for coming on the show. It's been awesome, and what a wonderful conversation. Well, thank you. You're quite, you're quite the talent at having conversations. I can see that. <laughs> Strong feminine skills, Bob. Strong feminine skills. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.